the flag could talk, it could write a book. This man's name is really great. I'm trying to say you I'm looking in the window at Tiffany's. Hello, my name is Nadine and I am your host. Welcome to In Her Lens, In Conversation, Archives and Documentary. And this whole week on this platform, I talk with filmmakers about the use of archival footage in documentary work. This series is a collaboration with the Brooklyn Public Library and New York History Day 2022. It is also an expansion for the short video that I created for the New York History Day contest. You can watch it on YouTube. I've linked it in the episode notes. So make sure you check out the visuals that match this series. In this episode, you'll get to know Beatrice Brown, a documentary filmmaker and the creator of the short film 34 Carmine Street. In this episode, she talks about creating a film about small business culture, about the function of archive, where she goes to collect it, how she navigates using material and navigating copyright law, and how it shaped her film. Here is Beatrice Brown on archives and documentary. Okay, so if you can introduce yourself to us, tell us your name, where you're from, and how you kind of got involved in the film industry. Hi, my name is Beatrice Brown. I am a documentary filmmaker and producer. Um, I got into the film industry very early as an intern. I edited at a publication, and that publication went into a lot of documentary work, and I fell in love with it. And so you were a young actress. Um, how has kind of your storytelling developed from being a part and being on the stage to now choosing what story you want to tell and how do you navigate choosing what story you want to tell? Yeah, great question. I think uh, easy to say storytelling has been uh, instilled in me from a very young age. Um, and I think the, the most beautiful thing about storytelling is that it can be through any sort of medium. It doesn't just have to be film. So once you have that foundational, you really can apply it anywhere especially those places where you're most passionate about. Um, so for me, it took a bit of evolving to get to this place. But when I choose a story to tell, I'm very much character driven. Um, I really, truly believe that um, people and us living beings are the foundational of every storytelling aspect, whether it's an event or a moment in history or even just a documentary about things, we as humans are the force behind these actions. So I almost always look for people first and interesting characters to feature, and then we expand into a topic. Or if I do come across a topic first that I'm interested about, I go backwards and I try to find characters or people within that topic range that will help me tell the story through a more human uh, element. Tell us a little bit about your new film. So 34 Carmine Street is a film about the small business culture in New York City. And we tell that story through the lens of an independent bookstore in the neighborhood of Greenwich Village. Um, and the protagonist himself is a very character mm -hmm. that you are immediately attracted to. But the whole point of the film is to sort of um, go deep into the idea that small businesses are what helps create culture and community within places. And that is 
eventually becoming extinct nowadays. So, yeah. And how did you stumble upon this story? You have a very personal connection to it in some ways. I, I do indeed. Um, I stumbled upon the character first. I lived in the building above the bookstore for two years, um, which is where I met. I met the owner of the store, Jim. We became really good friends. And he's just one of those people that you immediately look at him and you know he has thousands of stories to tell. So you're immediately intrigued. You're immediately curious about what he has to offer. And as a person in New York, there were few places where I felt that sense of curiosity and that sense of desire to, to learn more about a small business. Um, and over the years, we shared the same landlord. <laughs> and over the years, we started realizing that the store was a bit of an anomaly. And I, after I left 34 Carmine Street, I decided to approach him and see if he would be interested in making, um, uh, putting a story together. But by then, I thought I was going to do a short feature on him, like literally a quick two to five minute documentary just about the store and how cool it was. Didn't really think much of it. I only filmed for one day with a couple of friends. And once we started editing and my relationship with Jim, you know, expanded and we were talking more constantly, we realized that that's not the story that was supposed to be told. And what is it about documentaries that excites you about that world? Yeah, um, I think documentary filmmaking is so special because it tells real stories from real people all over the world. And because of this ultimate sense of reality, we as viewers connect, we can get inspired, we can, it can instill action in people, and it can help build communities. And I think that when you have that means to create a feeling for the person who's watching that story, I think uh, it's, it's a true gift that is given to us. Mm -hmm. So this documentary is really specifically about kind of the use of archives and archival research and collection. Uh, what function do you think that archives have in documentaries and in your work specifically? I think that archives and archival storytelling is extremely important to documentary filmmaking because one, it's recorded evidence of something that has happened and two, it helps instill memory. Um, and there's a, a standard misconception about archival storytelling that it always has to do with old historical events, but that's not necessarily true, right? Archive can be used in so many different ways from uh, photo montage to home videos to even actual physical documents that help elevate the storytelling. Um, and because films are so visual, there are certain things that we as filmmakers cannot capture through the camera, the, this fancy camera that we have available to us. And so we use archival storytelling to help us um, support the film visually, but also how freaking cool is it? <laughs> It's probably, yeah, it really adds that extra texture as well. Like it has that little feel. Um, I know you mentioned in, uh, in 34 Carmine that there is a whole section of archive. Where did you begin to look for that? And where do you go for archival research and collection? Yeah, great question. Um, my very first and foremost place that I always go to is the local 
public library. So for me, that was the New York Public Library. Um, we, so the, one of the tricky parts about our film is that it was very low budget and very independent and self-funded. So we already had limited budget to work with and we needed to source archives that was easily available to us, right? Without much licensing issues. So our standard places that we go to is the public library um, and uh, Creative Commons archive that's available anywhere online. Um, you'd be surprised with how much the library actually has, um, but not just the library, even local resources. Like we worked um, together a lot with the Village Preservation Society because our film was about Greenwich Village. So you can tap into these local communities and local um uh, not foundations, but what's it called? Like um, like institutions? Yeah, like local institutions, especially non-for-profit work within the topic realm that you want to talk to. And almost always they will have something to help and support your work. If not, they'll have the connection. And what are the challenges with archival footage? What do you run into that is difficult to work with or difficult to handle? Two major things. One, copyright. <laughs> um, if you are studying documentary film, I'm sure you're going to come across fair use at some point throughout your studies. But you, at the end of the day, these are existing images and existing work from somebody else. So you have to be extra careful with what you are able to use in your film, right? Um, thankfully, things that are available to us from the library, for example, or from Creative Commons are very often, but don't cross-reference me on this one, but are very often free of views and um, royalty-free. So th that's like a given gift to us as, uh, as filmmakers. Um, but then when it comes to licensing, it also comes to cost, right? And if you're working with a very low budget and, for example, you found this perfect picture that really helps tell your story, but it's available on Getty Images for a license fee. And these license fees can cost anywhere between, you know, $500 to a couple thousands. And you have, say, 20 photos that adds up to your budget. And it, it really becomes a challenge after a while when you find these so-called perfect images and you have to get a little bit creative with it. Um, in my film, for example, we got a little creative with some of our ideal images that we weren't able to use. And we had a graphics person almost illustrate it from scratch so that the, the visual reference was still there, but without us having to, um, to dive into the, the whole licensing and, and budget deal. There's so much research that goes into doing documentary just because you're really trying to get to the depth of a certain subject. How do you distinguish between something that is research and something that you include in a film? Yeah, when you research as a filmmaker, this is your due diligence to the film, right? This is where you're really going into the topic that you were talking about and trying to understand it from all different perspectives, perspectives and angles so that you can come up with a concrete form of storytelling that's unbiased. And the material that you put in the film is part of that research, but it's your supportive image to the narrative that you're telling. So for example, if I am telling, if my film is about Shakespeare and about how, whether Shakespeare actually wrote his plays or not, um, 
I wasn't there to film this kind of stuff, but I did my due diligence in researching enough that I know he was questioned for plagiarism or not, right? Do I know whether that's true or not? I don't. But it's relevant enough because it was brought up a few times in in the historical points to put it in the film. Across my research, I came across these documents that were signed by the court or something that says Shakespeare may not be who he says he is. And I think, oh my God, this is so cool. I have to put this in the film so the viewer can take their own opinions into hand and see and, and try to come up for themselves or formulate an idea of what they think actually happened. So my research and my visual material merged, but I'm very careful with what it is that I actually put in the film, the supported material. It has to match the story that you're telling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, 100%. You explained that so well. About yourself, uh, what is one aspect to your filmmaking that is unique to the way that you work and to who you are as a person? So one thing that I think is unique to me and I think really helps me throughout the process of filmmaking is by building a relationship with everybody that I work with. And that can be anyone from APA on set to the actual subject of the film and the story that I'm telling. Um, I really like to prioritize the aspect of humanity and trust before placing a camera and having that full trust to be able to tell someone's story. But I, I also believe in opinions and I believe in um, a group-oriented setting so that everybody feels comfortable and excited about the story that we're telling. Mm-hmm. I feel like that really comes out of being in the theater. Yeah. I really very much relate to that kind of way of working. Like it is about if it's a warm place to be a part of or an ambitious place or something that people feel comfortable to show up in, then the work is gonna feed that. Right? Yeah. Last question, and it's my classic question. <laughs> if um, you could give some advice to your younger self, what would it be? I think if I had one advice for my younger self, it would be to live more, experience more. Don't be afraid of being involved in emotions. Don't be afraid to go meet people out of your comfort zone because all of that eventually led the way for my craft. Um, it really was less about focusing on my career and where I'm going to be in a couple of years and more about living life and understanding the different dynamics of life and people that helped me build a foundational for my work. You can follow Beatrice on social media at Beatrice Brown, and you can check out her work on her website, BeatriceBrown.com. If you enjoyed listening to Beatrice, you can also check into season one of In Her Lens, where I talked with her extensively about her journey and her work. I want to thank Shirley Brown Alini and Talia Den for making this project possible. Special thanks to the Brooklyn Public Library, Charles Rudoy, and Sonia Achshorn. In Her Lens is produced and edited by yours truly. The visuals for this special were created by the incredible Madeline Baker. And our theme music, as always, is by Daniela Wiegener. I'll be back tomorrow with the very last episode of this special. I'll see you there.